Support for Alleist comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years of Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, with over 200 films May 1st through 10th. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for Alleist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at alleist.com slash events. This is episode two of Imperfect Paradise, Home is Life. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, go back and do that first. Okay, here we go. There's this YouTube channel called Fullerton Homeless. It's run by a woman named Katherine Reese. It has 2,000 subscribers, and she started it right after David Galanders and Pathways of Hope proposed building permanent supportive housing right near the Kimmy's Coffee Cup neighborhood. Kat, that's what Katherine Reese likes to be called, was posting stuff almost daily. Videos of her interviews with people she presumes to be homeless. I'm recording you. You know people hate people going through their trash. This video looks like it's taken on a phone from the other side of a residential street. It shows a woman in sunglasses and a baseball hat in front of what looks like a condo complex. She's fishing bottles and cans out of a dumpster and placing them in a bicycle trailer. Are you homeless? People hate you going through their trash. You know, you can go get assistance. You're homeless, and there's a lot of assistance everywhere. You know that, right? Okay, the woman says. Then she turns away and puts another bottle in the trailer. Kat keeps the camera focused. She's not moving. An awkward 20 seconds pass. Get out of the trash. This time, the woman just ignores her. Kat keeps filming. This is why we work so hard to run you out of our city. The woman glances at Kat for a second, then turns away. She picks some trash off the ground and puts it back in the dumpster. Disgusting. Calling the cops. When it comes to battles over how to address homelessness, I've found that there are three types of people. There are the cats, people who just want unhoused people to go away. Maybe to jail, maybe to the desert. The idea of banishing people on the streets to some sort of desert camp actually gets brought up a lot by people in this group. On the other side, there are the yes-in-my-backyard people, the vocal supporters. We'll hear from them in the next episode. And then there are the folks in the middle, the people who either are too busy to know much about it, or maybe they're skeptical but open-minded. This middle group is the one David needed to court, where he needed to find that lukewarm support that Councilmember Seaborn said he'd need to move the project forward. The other two camps had already made up their minds. So who were these middle-of-the-roaders, and could David persuade them to join his side over cats? I'm Jill Replogle, and this is Episode 2 of Imperfect Paradise, Home is Life. The story of one battle over where to house people living on the streets. And really, whether to house them at all. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. 
VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. If there's one woman I figured David needed to win over, it was Stephanie Bromley. Stephanie founded the main Facebook group for the Kimmy's Coffee Cup neighborhood back in 2014. It's the place where everyone posts announcements about yard sales and pictures of kittens up for adoption. It's also where people complain about crime and homelessness in the neighborhood and discuss what the city should do about it. Stephanie spoke against David's plan at the city council meeting, but she also invited David to join the neighborhood Facebook group so he could have a dialogue with the neighbors. Not long after that first city council meeting in June 2018, I asked her to show me around her neighborhood so I could better understand what her concerns were. We meet at Adelina Park around the corner from her house. Hi. Stephanie is petite. She has long brown hair tied back at a ponytail. T-shirt, jeans. My first impression, classic soccer mom, the kind who brings oranges and cheers from the sidelines. Anyway, Atlanta Park is smallish. There's a basketball court, a baseball diamond, a splash pad. Stephanie says there are usually people sleeping under the trees here, but not on the day we meet. It's the middle of July, and Stephanie says they're probably at the library where there's air conditioning. This is like the hub of, you know, where they end up sleeping and washing their clothes in the bathrooms. People find like hypodermic needles around here, and you can see there's like a children's spray pool. We get in her car and drive, past single-story homes with one-car garages and square front lawns. Stephanie points out the strip of small businesses across the street from where David wants to build permanent supportive housing. There's a learning center right here, a school right here. And there's Kimmy's Coffee Cup. Good breakfast and lunch. Kimmy's is one of the only places to eat nearby, and it looms large in the locals' idea of what they want their suburban neighborhood to be. Quiet, middle class, just a couple of small local businesses. Knows each other. I know all my neighbors on the street. When I first moved in, we had emergency contacts given out right away, and everybody knows when somebody's going on vacation, and we all kind of keep an eye on each other's house. Today happens to be trash day, so I've already had, you know, the local homeless people coming through the trash can to empty out my recycles, and I, I just kind of expect that. So, which it doesn't bother me too much as long as you're not leaving a a huge mess. Unlike Kat, whose YouTube videos we heard earlier, Stephanie apparently doesn't call the cops on people going through her trash. It's one of the reasons why I think David might have a chance with her. That, and she tells me she hands out McDonald's gift cards to people asking for money at the supermarket. But to be clear, Stephanie is not okay with the idea of housing formerly unhoused people so close to her neighborhood. There's already a wintertime shelter nearby and a church that lets people sleep in the parking lot. She feels, as she put it, overburdened. Stephanie also worries that the people living in David's proposed building will have drug problems, that some might have spent time in prison. 
She worries that the housing will attract people living on the streets in other places. And then, as she puts it, they'll become our problem. It's it's frightening to us, it is, because we don't know what to expect. And it's not just about home values or anything like that. We're really wondering about our safety and security. And I mean, I just don't know. I don't know what to expect. In order to combat this not knowing what to expect, a city council member who supports David's project has organized a tour. It's of permanent supportive housing that already exists elsewhere in Orange County. The idea is for Stephanie and other neighbors to see for themselves what David plans to build, get their questions answered, and maybe be less frightened. That's after a break. Support comes from Visual Communications, presenting VC Film Fest, celebrating 40 years showcasing Asian and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander filmmaking, featuring over 200 works ranging from narrative film, documentary films, photo exhibits, and new media. VC Film Fest honors our beloved elder cultural workers, linking them to present and emerging artists to empower communities and challenge perspectives. May 1st through 10th in Little Tokyo and in Long Beach. Info at festival.vcmedia.org. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at las.com slash events. I don't know the addresses offhand, but I've got the agenda. I was going to plug it into my phone. In mid-July 2018, I meet up with Stephanie, the city councilman, and a small group of neighbors, mostly middle-aged women, in front of City Hall for the tour. These women seem like just the -the middle-of-the-road neighbors that David needed to convince. Except maybe a couple people, including Kat, the YouTuber. She's there, too. And she announces right off the bat that she plans to record everything. Just know that I record everything, so I'm going to record this, okay? Okay. One person who isn't here? David Galanders, the man with the housing plan. A woman named Sherry Carter, who is also on the tour, had said she'd boycott it if David was coming. She just didn't trust him. We load up into our cars in a city van and head off to visit three different apartment complexes. All of them provide permanent supportive housing to people who were formerly unhoused. I had been looking forward to this tour because I've never actually seen what permanent supportive housing looked like. What I'd heard is that experts and the federal government think it's the best way to get people who have been chronically homeless off the streets. And one of the theories behind permanent supportive housing is this thing called housing first. The idea is that it's easier to give someone a home first and then work on treating the problems that may have contributed to their homelessness, like addiction and mental illness. Our first stop is the Rockwood Apartments in Anaheim. It's a three-story, modern building, palm trees line the front. The interior courtyard has a shaded playground surrounded by private patios. It's nice. All the kids, families bring chairs out, blankets out. We pass out popcorn and do movie nights out here. The tenants are a mix of low-income and formerly unhoused families and individuals living with mental illness. A woman named Danielle Ball is here to answer questions. She's since gotten married and changed her name. 
Danielle's job is to help the people who live at Rockwood get the help they need so they can stay in their apartments. And then here on site, we have Ocapica. They offer therapy and on-site services. Orange County Healthcare Agency here is here as well, um, offering therapy on site. Then we have Western News Services that's offering family therapy on site. One of the first questions from the neighbors comes from Sherry Carter. She's the one who threatened to boycott the tour if David came. Her question, do tenants have to pay rent? Yes, Danielle says, 30% of their income, which could come from employment or it could come from something like disability insurance. And that piece of information sets Sherry off. If there's any people that, that, that get Social Security disability because they have, they have a qualifying factor, drug addiction, alcoholism... This is not true, by the way. Having a drug or alcohol addiction does not qualify you for federal disability benefits. That's those kind of people. I don't consider that paying rent. They're getting that um, from the government because of their qualifying factor. That's not rent. Those people aren't required to work. Let's not confuse that. They will not be required to work. Then Kat jumps in. Can I get this kind of assistance and not have to work? That's a serious question. Hang on, I'm very yeah. serious right now. If you're homeless, if you go live on the street for a year, stop working. If you decided you don't want your house, you don't want your car, you don't want any single asset that you own and sell everything and go out on the street and lose it all, have a mental health, which after being on the street, most likely you will get a mental health diagnosis because it's pretty bad out there, then you could qualify 100%. The other neighbors also have questions about substance use. Um, are there any restrictions on uh, alcohol or drug use here? No. Um, if we see it in the community and it's causing a problem and at least violation, then yes, they would get written up. We don't go in and do checks for alcohol. We don't go in and do checks for drugs. However, Stephanie Bromley, the one who runs the community Facebook page, chimes in. Happens behind closed doors. If we don't know about it, then kind of that's okay. So, I mean, if somebody's in there using heroin and nobody's complaining about it, yeah, you said that if we don't see it, if we don't see it, we can't, we can't give a lease violation. If we're not seeing it, and if they're, if we're going in, they're not telling us they're using. I'm not going to go looking in their drawers and looking through their whole entire house for heroin. You couldn't kick anyone out of any sort of housing if there's suspected drug use. If people are seeing it and they're doing things to violate their lease, it's all about violating your lease, then they're going to get out of here. By the way, Danielle says, drug use is not actually a big problem here. But the neighbors seem really worked up. And I didn't know this at the time, but what I learned later is that many of them had listened to Kat's latest recording right before coming. This time, Kat recorded two Pathways of Hope employees as they were handing out flyers for a series of meetings that David was planning. The recording turns out to be a bombshell. Uh, somebody said you came by my house and I was just... Uh, Jumping on fire. Oh. What's that? No. We know, they say, that you and your neighbors want people off the streets. We have a plan for that. We want to tell you about it. So the people that we see wandering around are going to live there? Would go live there permanently, forever. Some of those people have uh, past records of rape, uh, murder, pedophilia, drug addiction. 
sex offenders would absolutely not be authorized to live. Then what are we going to do with them? They're going to stay on our streets. That would be a question for the Fullerton PD, and we need to work with them uh, on that. But that's not. We know that's not every single person that's out and about. And And here comes what many of the neighbors would later consider the smoking gun. So they're locked in there permanently. They don't. They're in there 24 hours a day. They're not locked in, but they have their own space to be in. So to be perfectly frank, if someone's going to shoot up, we want them to do that in their own separate place, away from you, away from your kids, away from In the building. In the building. Our goal would be to end their addictions by treating them with sobriety services and a wealth of other services. But they would be what Kat and later the other neighbors hear is that Pathways of Hope wants to give drug addicts a safe place to shoot up. What got lost here? What the Pathways employee was trying to explain to Kat is a concept called harm reduction. The idea is if you can't get someone to stop using drugs, maybe at least you can minimize the damage they do to themselves and others. For example, giving out clean needles to heroin addicts so that they don't share used needles and spread disease. It is definitely controversial, but proponents say it saves lives. At some point during Kat's conversation with the Pathways women, she makes it clear her mind is made up. I'm working diligently against your cause. I'm handing out flyers. No, no, I know who you are. I'm one of the biggest resistance in this neighborhood. We don't want this here. We want you out of our neighborhood. We don't want your paperwork. We know what you're about. The Pathways employees try to make an exit. And if you don't mind, we'd like to end the conversation here, and we'd be happy to have you at our community meeting. You're dedicated to destroying a clean neighborhood. You're telling, you told me you want someone to have the safety to shoot up in their own safety, and then they're going to be free to come out to a school. That's insane. That's, it's insane. You're not making sense. You don't have an answer. You guys aren't, don't think clearly. Your cause is diluted. These people don't want help. I interview them. I interview them. They don't want help. So I'm Michael, this is Fanny. No, you can't. You can't ask my name. I don't, everybody knows who I am. If you don't, you're way behind in the times. You don't. Well, we'll see you at our community meetings. We're going to go ahead and continue. Yeah, good luck. At the next stop on the tour, things get even worse for David's case. The Doria apartments are on a quiet street in the city of Irvine with newly planted trees and green hedges. We park our cars and meet in the lobby, which has high ceilings and a fancy chandelier. In the courtyard behind, there's a pool surrounded by lounge chairs. I was impressed at how upscale it looked, but it turns out this is not a selling point for the Fullerton neighbors. For some of us, the lobby is where the Doria tour ends. The management prohibits recording. I hear Kat say into her phone, this is a crock of shit. You should be upset, Fullertonians. You should be upset. Kat and Sherry walk out in protest. The one thing that we're asking from these people is to be honest and transparent with us. And this is a clear example of them not. And I'm, I'm tired and I'm fed up. And I'm, I'm about ready to cry because I'm so hurt and devastated over what's happening to our community. My husband worked hard for that house. And we just want to feel safe. And they want to take that away from us. Fuck safety now. We... Is, is 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 no longer what should just be given to us. Now we have to we have to fight to be safe. Man, if only my grandma was alive to see this. Sherry is not alone in feeling this way. I had heard other neighbors say they don't feel safe in their homes anymore either. 
Sherry told me that a stranger had recently walked into a neighbor's home at night and asked to use the shower. Another neighbor told me a man had screamed at her in her driveway and tried to open her car door while she was inside. The neighbors are scared, and they're tired of feeling vulnerable because people they don't know are sleeping in their front lawns and behind their back fences. These are both actual situations I'd heard about. But those unhoused people want to feel safe, too. And from what I had learned about permanent supportive housing, it's the best tool we have to fix this stuff. And yet the neighbors are just not buying that it's a solution. The only solution they seem to want is for people experiencing homelessness to go somewhere else. By the tour's third stop, a place called The Orchard, I'm pretty sure all the neighbors here understand what permanent supportive housing is. But even that group I had pegged as middle of the road, maybe even convincible, they just do not seem convinced. I called Stephanie after the tour to see how she was feeling. We know permanent supportive housing is, you know, is what experts think is the best way to keep people off the street. But it bothers me that our taxpayer dollars are paying for these people to live with amenities like a pool, stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, walk-in closets, movie night, etc. And they never have to work. They never have to stop taking drugs or treat their addictions. They don't even have to take medication or see a psychiatrist for mental disorders. You know, it makes me wonder why I work so hard, you know, and tell my kids they need to go to school and and do well for themselves and everybody's getting all these things for free. It's, it's frustrating. I already knew that Stephanie didn't want David's project in her neighborhood. By the way, she's continued to publicly oppose it in the years since I reported this story. But after this tour, she seemed skeptical of the concept of permanent supportive housing itself. She also had an alternative idea for the land where David wanted to build the project. She and her husband had been lobbying city council to let him move his nutritional supplements company there instead. In other words, they wanted to buy the land. At the beginning of this episode, I said I thought David's job would be to convince the undecideds. But after the tour, I was starting to wonder whether that group even existed. It kind of seemed like everyone had already made up their minds. So maybe David would have to try a different strategy, rallying his supporters. I want you to be allies of ours, and this is a need we have. This is not just an ask. There's homeless people already in our backyard, so to me, let's give them a place to live. It's hard to get back on your feet again. It is. It's very, very hard. That's on the next and final episode of Imperfect Paradise. Home is life. This season of Imperfect Paradise is written and reported by me, Jill Replogle. Emily Guerin is the senior producer, editor, and fact checker. Additional editing by Antonia Cerejido, Sofia Polisa-Carr, and Suzanne Levy. Antonia Cerejido and Leo G. are the executive producers for LAist Studios. Mixing and original music by E. Scott Kelly. Special thanks to Voice of OC for their reporting on this story. Also thanks to Donald Pass, Ethan Ward, Tony Marcano, Maura Waltz, Ross Brenneman, Hasmik Pagosian, and Megan Garvey. Our website is designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at LAist Studios. They also created our branding. Thanks to the team at LAist Studios, including Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Hayford, 
Kristen Moeller, Andy Orozco, Michael Cosentino, and Leo G. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Imperfect Paradise is a production of LAist Studios. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.